Hello, I'm back. This is episode number 51. Um, yeah, this is Creative Chit Chat and yeah, normal service has been resumed. Um, I hope you enjoyed last week. Um, I've got to thank Sam and Lyle again um, for taking on the uh, interviewer and editing roles for me, um, even if I did pretty much interview myself on that one. Maybe I should do that again and just uh, just ask myself the questions and play the two roles. But yeah, it was really weird listening to it back. Um, felt bizarre, was quite cringy. But hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed it. Um, the yeah, I sort of appreciate the anxiety that probably every guest goes through post recording. Um, and you think, oh, I didn't say everything I wanted to, uh, I didn't get that out, I didn't talk about that, that wasn't very interesting, oh, I'm not sure. Um, but in the end, when you listen to it back, it's, it's nowhere near as bad as you think. Um, yeah, and I, I sort of, I can now empathise with, with everyone I've had on, so I apologise <laughs> if I've not made that any easier. But, on to this week's. We've got the guys from the Newport restaurant, Jamie and Tassel, both been on MasterChef. Um, Jamie uh, won it a few years ago. And we talk about uh, both of their journeys into cooking and how that built up and how the idea of, of starting their own restaurant came about and getting involved with it. And then um, some behind the scenes stuff of MasterChef as well, which uh, is actually quite funny. And then we sort of go on this journey um, and talk about the future and talk about the, the sort of food that those guys like and they like to make. Yeah, a whole bunch of other stuff. And then uh, culminating in, in the end with their guilty pleasure, which might surprise one or two of you. I mean, that's it. If you are new to the podcast, new to it this year, uh, best place to keep up to date with everything is at CCC Dundee on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook dot com forward slash groups forward slash ccc dundee and everything gets posted on there teaser content releases of episodes all the information everything else um just go and follow and tell your friends but that's it for my ramble let's get into episode 51 um this is with the guys from the newport restaurant and it's jamie and tassel I used to play a lot of golf. My dad used to run golf clubs. Mum's a chef to trade. My dad was in the army, so um, I used to play a lot. We used to like they used to run golf clubs. We used to stay in golf club and like a, a flat above it or like a house attached to the golf course. So I'd play a lot of golf, and they basically refused to pay for any more golf clubs. <laughs> so I was playing for Scotland under sixteens. I was playing for um, Renfrew County, Renfrewshire County, in Glasgow, and it was just really good. And I really wanted a new driver one year, so Mum's like, "Well, you can work." Okay, and I'd done a little bit of bobs in the kitchen before when at the golf clubs, and she's like, "You can do a Saturday morning." So I start at five o'clock in the morning, set out the kitchen, make all the golfers breakfasts, and then I would finish at twelve, and then I would get to go out and play golf. Now the other reason for that was because because I was a junior, and the club I was at, at the time didn't particularly like juniors being very good, so I was better than most of the men. So what that allowed us to do in the rules was play with the men in the competitions. So we used to play in the male competitions. There was four of us that we used to play, but we weren't allowed to go out in the good times. So I had to go up at 12 o'clock and I had to wait until someone would take us out with them. So uh, it was like a double-edged kind of sword. So I'd, I'd do that, I'd make the rules and that and then make a bit of money, pay for the, the golf club I wanted, play golf. So that was how I really started cooking. And um, I always feel that if you can do a really good breakfast or if you can like, like manage a busy breakfast, you have to, I think it sets you up really well. 
it's quite hectic, it's busy, it's cooked order, um, and so it's combination. So I think it gives you a really good kind of grasp on on general cooking um, and kind of being in a busy kitchen. Uh, after that, my mum and dad bought their own place called the Collison Inn in Arbroath. And again, I was still playing a lot of golf, so we moved from Glasgow to to Arbroath, um, living on the living in the restaurant, and I was just doing part time, um, and then kind of cooking was a bit more exciting than golf because golf is a lot harder when you go up, yeah, it's a lot more expensive. So I was starting to work a little bit more, and I was working more, working more, and I was working more than playing golf. The second summer I was in Arbroath, so my mum's like, "Well, you come in the kitchen and do a bit more." So did that. She sent me to college, so I went and did my SVQ level two, and then you get asked if you want to do HNC or university or anything. I said, I don't want to do university, but I'll do the HNC. Um, because with the HNC, you get to do a three month stage or work experience anywhere you want. So my mum's got a good connection. So I ended up a uh, six week at Lockering House down in Trun, which is three Rosette restaurants, and then six weeks at Balati House Hotel, which is in Perth, which is a three Rosette restaurant. And we were both very good chefs who were there. So I went there mm. and that was kind of where my eyes were open to what I could do cooking wise and um, the style of like kind of not fine dining is, is but more hotel fine dining so you'd go and you'd see the whole breakfast set up lunch set up and dinner and then walk and did a lot of events and did an amazing um, chef there at the time called Lily Pike who was doing all the the pastry work and all the chocolate work and he did all the sugar work and he used to go to the tables and they would blow um, like sugar apples at the table and fill them with sorbet for like a, t- a table of 10 women and um, that was really cool to see that and then using fresh longestines and stuff and scallops and all this produce that was coming in and I kind of grasped it quite quick as well so I could jump on any section I could help out and then by the time I left Balathe House I'd cooked the whole weekend on a sauce section which was the meter fish and I was 17 so they wanted to hire me and Lockheed wanted to hire me but I was always a bit of a mummy's boy so I went home um, and I did another four or five years there where I made myself up to run in the kitchen for my mum she went in front of the house we did really well didn't get the support I needed from a from a, for a local restaurant which I think is a big thing um, so when you say support what do you what do you mean by that from Friday night Saturday Sunday were busy Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday were quiet so we weren't overly priced we were just really nice pub grub um, people would rather have a taco Tuesday or a fishy Friday and, and in the middle of the town and I have a pint so we were a mile and a half outside of town so we weren't extortionate to get there we weren't with big car parts just leave a car um, we had free really nice rooms as well it weren't, weren't expensive so we had we had the options there we just think it's supported by I think the local we've got, we've got more people travelling from 50 miles plus radius than we did from 2 miles mm-hmm. which is a bit it was just hard, a hard pill to swallow so um, I left and went to Byzantium in Dundee I just had a few little jobs. I got offered Glen Eagles. So I went to Glen, Glen Eagles, which was a big one. So, Andrew Fairley. I didn't get the job. Um, some guy from London got it. So, I ended up going to work uh, with my mum's friend up at a restaurant called Ogie Rate up in Pilochry. And it's a beautiful building. He built it himself. Um, but it's an absolute beast. He's very kind of focused, driven on money. And... Um, Keeping everything as low as possible, and he he does he, he has very high standards, but it was he was happy to buy certain things in that I wouldn't like to do, and um, there was so much emphasis on some things that I didn't see the point of, and where there should be more emphasis on making things fresh, and it was it was just it was a very really horrible three months. I went there for three months. I was working, I was only working four days a week, 
but I was staying there for the for the four nights because it was blockery. So it was quite it was full on and it was just it wasn't really enjoyable. So I kinda put my my mind back into getting back into really good food. So I applied for two jobs. So I applied for the Harvest Egg Grill in Arbroath, which is a sous chef job. And I applied for a chef de party job, senior chef de party job in St Andrews, a rocker, which is two rosette at the time. And uh, I got offered both jobs. One was a sous chef job, a lot more money. One was a chef de party job, 30 miles away, less money. And I went and spoke to some chefs I knew who were quite really good. And they told me what to go. And I went for the, 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 the lower paid job, a lower division job in a better restaurant. Um, and within the first six months, I was made uh, junior sous, and we made three rosettes. So, and a very small team, very small team, with the head chef Scott Davies, who's now at the Three Chimneys, and Stuart McCauley, who's now the head chef at Adamson. Um, so it was a really good team. It was hard work, really hard work. We did um, six or seven months, seven days straight, because <laughs> there was no, we couldn't get chefs, and then the chefs that came in, um, because it was. It was, it was it was two things it was we were we were hard working and we were arrogant that we'd done it all ourselves and if you came in you weren't as good as us you got a bit of shit and secondly um, they didn't want to work as hard as us and they weren't as good as us so there was and they didn't want to do it so you got a lot of agency chefs and stuff that come in which made your attitude towards them even worse because the agency chefs would come in on 12, 13, 15 pounds an hour and they couldn't pronounce a nice salad or they couldn't make a Caesar salad and then I stayed at Rocca. Because yeah, that's where you two guys. No, met. we met. We met Byzantium. Met, yeah, and Dundee. Ah, right. So we okay. met. We met three years before that. So I went to Byzantium after Collison as um, sous chef. So that was a that was a beast of a restaurant. I was one hundred and fifty covers a day, um, seven days a week. Um, six chefs. There were twelve chefs at the time, but there's two sous chefs, senior sous chef, head chef. Four chefs to parties and then two or three commies. So it was all busy. It was it wasn't that big a kitchen, but it was like a really busy, busy, busy place. It was a grill section, mezzy section. It was really good. It was like Scottish kind of Mediterranean fusion, um, which I really liked the idea of. So I went in as for the senior sous chef job, uh, and I got it. So I went in above two sous chefs, uh, Tasso, who was chef to party at the time. Um, that's where we kind of first met. Yeah. So how did how does your journey work from starting cooking to getting to, to getting now? Um, mine's just kind of mine's just a bit of like I grew up in like, a Greek family, so I always enjoyed cooking. Um, kind of always in the kitchen, and then I didn't really have the greatest of time at school. I didn't really conform to what I wanted to do. Um, so when I left school, I had two choices: I had to go to college or go to work. Basically, I didn't. I always wanted to cook. My dad cooked and stuff, and then. I kind of decided that I'd go to college, do my HNCs and stuff. Um, and then from there, I got my first job when I was just before my 16th birthday. And that was in DCA. Um, I never really took to fine dining. I never had the, the concept of it. Um, I just always just wanted to just kind of cook. And then from there, I kind of moved around a couple of places. And then my true kind of passion for fine dining started when I kind of met Jamie and started looking into different kind of restaurants and stuff. Don't blame me for fine dining. No, not, you, not blaming yeah, you yeah. for fine dining. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> for, for, for kind of like looking a bit more into it and doing a bit more sort of everything yourself and maybe adding a little bit more kind of love and nature into it. Um, and then from there we went to, I had a little girl and then I went to Rocca in St Andrews with Jamie. And then that's where it kind of truly sparked how I wanted to cook. 
from doing everything from pastas to sort of everything you can make yourself. I wanted to make it myself and stuff. And then we sort of, we got on really well. Kind of always did. And then, what, seven years later? Yeah, when, when Task came to Rocker, they did a big um, change. So the original hierarchy in the kitchen left um, quite uh, quite ra- rapidly. So because of the, the hours we were doing and stuff and because of how intense it was, um, there was a friction between front house and back house. And that boiled over basically with the head chef and the owner at a time. So I, would, I had my first sick day ever. Um, it was January the 4th. And um, I just had I just worked through, straight through Christmas and New Year, and I'd woke up with like proper, like, spewing at both ends. I couldn't move. <laughs> I couldn't, couldn't get out of bed or anything. <laughs> and I remember phoning Maka, who was the sous chef at the time. I was like, I, I can't get in today. I, I can't get in my bed. And he's like, and. But he he like obviously because I worked so hard in eighteen months before that he believed me. He said, "Don't worry, just um, uh, I've got a, I've got a job list here. Just text me if you need if you remember anything else." For him to do that was quite, I was quite actually relaxed about it. I was quite happy about that when he did that because I was worried about, you know what's phone and sick the best yeah. times. Yeah. And I knew we were a bit in the, in the poo then. So so I fell back asleep and I woke up maybe an hour later and he texts me, he's like, um, uh, head chef's been sacked. I'm leaving, what do you want to enjoy? What are you doing? <laughs> and that was it. I was like, I was like, shit. I was like, um, I, was, I just packed my knife so I put my marker. So obviously, 4th of January, um, Blood, sweat, and tears in this place. And you're thinking, well, what, what, what do you do? So I spoke to my my, my, my wife now, Kelly at the time, and I phoned a few people in the industry, like, what, what my rights and stuff? Could you could you get rid of me? And not th- maybe thinking that you wanted rid of the whole kitchen. <laughs> and so I phoned the the owner, an hour after, just saying I'd heard what happened. He's like, he's like, he's like, blah blah blah. That's this had to happen. We don't want rid of you. Uh, take the weekend off. Come back in on Monday or Tuesday, I think it was, and um, come and speak to me. So I went in and there was a new executive chef, head chef, and um, a guy that was meant to be the sous chef. So my only thoughts was that I had built myself up to junior sous chef, and I kind of wanted to progress in that kitchen. And they'd kind of stopped that by bringing in two more people above me. So that, that's when Tass came in. We got Tass the job maybe a month later. Yeah. So we had a, so, such a strong kitchen there. Such a strong kitchen, a lot of really good attitudes. and. Really hard work and executive chef was a hard, really hard ass, but it was really good. So, what is it that makes a good kitchen? Then? Just people want to work people for the team. Who, yeah, they want a yeah. dedication, isn't it? Yeah, kind of and a love for food. People want to like just help you, yeah, and yeah, some kitchens where they're there for themselves, so yeah. they'll take a split when everyone else is in the shit, or they'll just leave, or they'll have people that don't want people to fail. So, like, you hear, you've heard stories in London and stuff in Glasgow and the. 80s and 90s when people sabotaging sections and yeah. stealing tubs and stuff. At Rocker at one point, you used to have to st- like make sure you had all your, your tins in your fridge were empty. Like so, <laughs> so you'd have them the next day. So when the executive said, look for your fridge, it was all matching. Stuff like that. So um, I think it takes dedication, good attitude. Um, you have to have a good life at home. Yeah, You really do. If you've got any problems at home, they do travel work because you're there so much. Um because like the schedule is pretty grueling, like it's, yeah. it's, it's long hours. Yeah, it's pretty intense, intense yes. job. Especially when you add into that, and you add in like sort of like um, the intensity of how a service can go. Yeah, it kind of it, it, a lot of people kind of you hear about chefs getting like broken and sort of all their things that oh I can't do this anymore and stuff, and that that happens quite quite often. But then you kind of depends how you react to that ball. So you kind of like wake up the next day, and you're like right, new day. 
let's get back on the horse, let's push on and let's redo it. Do everything. Build, so, yeah, you, yeah. You, you're building, you're building, you're building, you build for this service. Like, Rock was a dinner service. So you would go in at eight or nine in the morning and you had eight hours, nine hours to prep for for three hours of like intense work. So um, you'd have all this time and you would think you're absolutely perfectly set up and then you've forgot to top up your salt. So that would, for me, would, would wreck my head. I'd have everything done by a certain time. I'd have everything in my fridge by done by a certain time. I'd have my whole, my whole section set up a certain way and that's task was meticulous about it. Yeah. I'd, I'd cooked the meat and fish for two years, so it was always exactly the same. Always the same. I had my board here, I had my knife here, and um, everything was always done exactly the way it was, and little things could twist, like to could tweak it, it would really kind of put you off your, off your stride. And when you're doing 70 covers at such a high level, working with three other people to bring, to take something up at that exact time. It's, it's super, super intense. And then with an executive chef that would, if he was in, if he was in a bad mood, it would be the worst service ever. No matter what you did, you can do anything right. You can do anything right. You see people in tears and on the other sections and you've still got to keep going and, and make sure you're playing up and stuff. And so, I mean, it sounds like it doesn't take a lot to change that dynamic quite significantly in the kitchen. No, no, no. no, no. It, shouldn't like, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. But that's how I built up my mind for my section. But it shouldn't be people shouldn't be crying in the kitchen. It shouldn't, no, be, it shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. And what other Newport we do the opposite. We do it completely opposite. But you still have that intensity of service. Not where you're getting shouted and screamed at, and you turn the fans off to make everyone sweat. But it's the intensity that you're there, and all your work is based on this plate of food you're doing for this customer that's paying to come in to see you. It has to be a standard. Do you know what I mean? There's got to be a standard you meet. There's got to be. Um, a level that you want to push yourself to because if you're happy to send out shit you're sending the whole team down yeah so at what point because obviously that we were chatting earlier and you said that the idea for the Newport came probably a few years before the realisation of it um, so the, the sort of desire to create something on your own mm-hmm. was there um, and so was there that, that moment of realisation where you've gone this is not right this is not the way that I want to do things going forward there's a couple of times like that. Yeah, yeah. there's a couple of times when the menu wouldn't necessarily change seasonally, um, which I hate. Um, there was times when someone would get shit for no reason, which I hate. There was some times where some people just would do a half-assed job, which wouldn't work. Do you know what I mean? There was some ways where the owner or the boss would speak to you like an absolute piece of shit and you wouldn't take it. And you don't need to be like that. Do you know what I mean? There's ways that you saw the business running, you're thinking, I could do this better, I could do that better. Okay. It's just whether you had the, 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 the skills to back it up. Yeah. And so Newport wasn't well, a restaurant was an idea. Um a good year and a half before. And we were always talking about stuff. Cause we used to share the same workbench because Tass used to do the garnish. And I was doing the sauce and then when we got more staff in, uh, I would float around the kitchen and then Tass would do the sauce. So I would still help him on that bench. So we're always chatting away about stuff and what we do different and what you would serve and we best friends, we used to go out eat our days off together and our families hang out together and stuff so it was always that kind of connection there so it would work really well so that's when you kind of really clicked and so did that then that idea at what point did you decide right we, we just have to go and make this happen so we don't have a time for that because well, MasterChef came along for me right in 2014 so um, the year before they'd, uh, they had asked the head chef at the time, if he wanted to do it, and he said no, he said you get you get Jambo to do it, one Jamie. He said you get Jamie to do it. Yeah. So how does that work? Like when you say 
like had the restaurant decided they wanted to put someone in or had yeah. they been yes it's, it's, it's personal or it's, or it's, it's anyone can decide okay. so the restaurant decided obviously they wanted to do the, so what that basically that year um, Scott Davies was on Adam Handlin and Steen Edwards so two mm-hmm. Scottish guys from St Andrews got into the final mm-hmm. and um, Scott was obviously the head chef at Rocker before and he left so they had I think there may be a bit of uh, green envy there at the time so they wanted to get somebody in and see if they could do any better um, so they had applied for me to go on to it in 2013 that year and do you think that in their mind because you, you didn't personally say I want to do this this no. is my the dream this is the goal you think that because obviously MasterChef's massive right it's got a lot of sort of coverage um, it's on for a long time like it's good publicity um, and you think it was sort of okay we want to jump on that and get the sort of yeah, that market yeah. pull that we can have on that and it wasn't wasn't necessarily your drive to go and do that it was more of a business decision I think it was because it was, as, you, as you know St Andrews is seasonal Very so seasonal. from November to February St Andrews is dead the golf courses aren't open it's even worse so if you have a bad winter no one will go to St Andrews and so when you're running a restaurant within a hotel which has got no rooms or people are coming for a a certain deal which don't want to spend money in the restaurant you're not going to have any customers um, so I do believe that their, their decision was business driven because um, I didn't have the desire I didn't have any desire to like do it myself so I was really happy I was doing well at the restaurant um, I was a sous chef at the time I was really happy the food was really good um, it was busy we were working quite a lot but yeah. it, was, it was a really good time um, it was just going into summer as well it was May February they applied and I got the callbacks in March um, and the process was two telephone interviews and then a TV interview in Edinburgh um, to get onto the programme to get to the final 50 or 52 I think it was so what's a telephone like what are they asking on that telephone uh, it's, an, it's basically a CV interview yeah right? okay. see what you're like and then to get a personality and then TV I don't know why that was that's all that's just to see if you look good on TV or what you know, they kind of do like a whole menu and stuff. You got to write down, do a yeah. couple of menus and stuff, yeah, and then right. take the, it the with TV. One you have to go with a, a five kind of, course menu. Yeah, you would do or what you'd see in your restaurant. Um, I don't necessarily know why when it's a talent competition, but hmm. that's what it did. So, um, yeah, after that you get a phone call a week later, whether you get in or not, and then you go sit in London, um, to Stratford, to Holiday Inn Express, then you walk along the canal and you go to the studios, Shrine Studios, um. So it definitely was publicity, but then they've got the gamble of you doing well. But I always get asked, what would you have done if you'd like done something silly or you hadn't done it? And I just hadn't thought of that at the time. Mm. I, do, I generally do not remember looking back on it and thinking, what if I do this wrong or what if I do that wrong? I, 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 it never crossed my mind. So I always had some, I really got confidence here. Because I had quite a, a generally very good competition. Obviously, I went on to, to win it, but I mean, I'd won... Uh, two, 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 two dodgy rounds. Um, the first one was because a bit behind the scenes here because uh, they mixed up my dishes. So, so when I got there, I um, <laughs> when I they got me the they got me the I was working and it was in the middle of summer, so it was, I think it was end of May, start of June. So we were really busy at the restaurant. So I got the Sunday Monday off to go down to London. So I fin- no, it's up this Monday Tuesday off and I flew the Sunday night. So I finished work at nine, and I went and got the red eye to London from Glasgow. Landed in London about 12 o'clock at night and I got a taxi across London to the hotel. So I got to about one in the morning. I had no idea where I was. And I've been to London a few times, but you know, it's like when you go to a strange city, 
Taxiing. Yeah, I'd never been to Stratford. I'd never been to, like in that area of London. So I got there, got to my bed. Um, I was a little bit nervous, but I felt I'm falling asleep quite easily. And then I woke up about maybe five in the morning and a really bad pain in my ankle. And I got up and I tried to stand on it. I couldn't stand on it. So I went like, I just like put like a cold cloth, cold cloth over it. I don't have any history of this at all. So I went back to my bed and I woke up about an hour later and I was throbbing and I phoned Kelly. I said, Kelly, I cannot stand on my ankle. So you need to phone NHS 24. So I phoned NHS 24. I was like, I'm really sorry about your really bad ankle. I can't walk on it. And I was like, my eyes were watering because it was that painful. And like, oh, if you can come to your closest medical centre is such and such. East Stratford, if you can come there. So I got a taxi to there and I phoned MasterChef for the studios and it's like, guys, I don't know if I can do this because I've got a really bad ankle. And there was Neil Wilmer at the time. He said, like, Jamie, I'll send a producer to come pick you up and see if you're all right. So I got a cortisone, I got a steroid injection and I got um, naproxen. So steroid, like basically inflama- inflammatories. And they took me to the studio and like, do you want to put your jacket on? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm here now, I'm at on now. But then my ankle actually started to die down a little bit. I was still hobbling a little bit. And then I went and did the whole interview thing, did the walk. And if you go back and watch the walk, I do have a little bit of a hobble. So the, like, the walk in the, the canal. Um, but they said they didn't notice it, which is absolute bollocks. Um, but I went and my, to do, so you did a, a thing where you, you speak to the home per- person, so see home people, and they were responsible for your ingredients and your equipment. And you'd go into a check of everything before you went in the kitchen to make sure everything was there. And my my competition, I my first heat was a signature dish. Um, and then it was a skills test, Marcus's surprise test, and then the after those rounds, that was the first round, was the critics. So you had to submit. You always in the competition, you always had to submit two menus for two two rounds. So they were always ahead. So if you got through, you had this menu ready for you, and if you went out, it was fine. They didn't have to chase you up for anything. So I had submitted my signature and my critics, and they mixed the main courses up. So it doesn't sound that bad. But for the signature, you had an hour and 15 minutes to cook one plate of food. And sorry, an hour and a half. And for the critics, you had an hour and 15 to cook four plates of food for mains and dessert. So eight plates in total. So I'd done a whole duck carcass for my hour and a half, one dish, and a piece of fish for an hour and 15 for eight plates. So they mixed these up. So the timings were completely off. My signature dish went really well because I had 45 minutes spare to stand and scratch the balls. (laughs) Uh, That went really well. They really enjoyed that. Uh, I smashed the skill, smashed the Marcus's surprise test, which was pigeon, squad pigeon. And then I got to the critics. And one guy in my heat, actually, there was only three of us in the critics as well, no one was four. But one of the guys in my heat before stabbed himself in the leg. leg yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, dropped, he dropped his knife down. He, he knocked his paring knife off the table, so a small little vegetable knife. And I got wards in the side, and he hit his shin off it. And I remember working away, cutting the pigeon, looking at the right, and he collapsed. And there's just like a little bit of blood coming out of his leg. I was like, you're right. He's like, he's like, yeah, just, I think I saw, cut my leg. And so they didn't stop. You don't, they don't stop. It's so the, the floor manager came over and he's like, you okay? He's like, no, I've cut my leg. So he pulled the thing up and he had a little gash in his leg. And it was just like blood coming out. And he's like, right, we need to bandage that up. So they bandaged him up whilst everyone's still going. Put him in a wheelchair. They're like, guys, um, you've still got the same amount of time. Sorry, I can't change the time. Um, but if you can just look a little bit shocked and really about the back door, <laughs> that'd be great. Sounds like this. <laughs> so they wheeled him out, uh, and they still sent two people home. So I am um, to well, I was I was only one to get through from that heat. I can't remember who it was. Because I met no, it's two of us it's got through. Me and, me and Sean, no, it's the Maltese guy, got through. Sean Gravina, 
who's now a bloody he's a pop star in Malta now. Honestly. He's like a really? he's like a superstar chef in Malta. <laughs> he's going out with a girl that was on their Eurovision team. It's crazy. He's, he's like a million followers. <laughs> and he was just a she he's not very, very good chef either. Well. Yeah, so uh, I got through and um we're getting through that and after that was the scraps test and my and mine thing, so I did really want the scraps test, but they sent two home from that still. So there's only three of us in the critics. I just didn't have a nightmare because I'd not I didn't have time to do it. So uh, and the critics didn't enjoy it that much, but the Marcus and Monica really liked it. And I got through from that. Um, but that was my two bad that was my bad round and then I got to the chef's table and I just uh, <laughs> for the chef's table again you have to submit two menus. Mm. So I submitted a four course menu for it and I was like, right, I've not done the start before. I've done the fish, done the meat, and done the dessert. I hope they'll pick one of them. And they picked the starter, of course. So I did a starter. I had to braise everything, roll everything, set everything in three hours. I just did not have enough time. And um, I didn't go down, but, I, but because I got to that stage and they're like, what do you want help? Do you want one of the guys to come off a section to help you? And I was thinking, no, because then I'll look shit. Won't I? I was like, then I'll look like I'm taking their help. Mm. So I didn't ask for any help until the last couple of plates because I could see Marcus was getting annoyed because I was going quite slow so Sven came over and helped me so I got it out but I just knew it wasn't right so I got really upset with myself when I was side and I came back in but meanwhile this has happened Danny who was doing the fish course had gone down like a sack of shit had worked his macro so I hadn't seen that because I went out for my interview in a separate room so I came back in and Sven asked me to help him so I went on and did his potatoes carved his meat for him and helped him plate up and then I went up and helped Brian plate up everything and I was thinking, I just have done quite a lot. I should have maybe got some help. Doesn't take me, yeah. And I remember, I remember them showing it on. We went, we went. It seemed like the post edit mm. episode before it was released. We went to London for that. I remember watching it. And all you could see was my hands helping them all the time, and this looked like them. And I just remember thinking, oh wow, I should have got some help. Because <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. that's the power of the edit, right? You can, yeah. they can make so it seem however they want. They didn't show me at all helping them. I was thinking that's a bit dirty because I could have got help and they would have been fine. So, but that was just my judgment. Mm. But I was lucky because that, that kind of episode spurred me on to kind of to probably win it because I knew this next round I had to really, really do well. And one of us going home because I think the worst place you could have gone it was the, the, that fourth place because when you get to that final four, um, but it's final five, if one person goes out, you just miss the chef's table, I think, and that's that's the most daunting one. But that final, that fourth person goes out just before you go away to work in a two or three star. And it was Danny who works at the House Ties in Newcastle. He's a really good chef. He got, He went out. And he was absolutely gutted because we got to go obviously to the Mugrits. Um But that's the worst place to go to go now because he was just absolutely gutted. Absolutely gutted. But I remember doing really well in that round. And Marcus still says that dish is one of his favourite dishes ever. It was the rabbit dish I did for him. And that kind of spurred me on to do that. So it was an amazing experience. And what, he, what I gained from it was kind of um, not necessarily exposure and stuff. I gained a lot of confidence from it. Um, I went back to Rock after it. And it was like going back to a new kitchen because of new chefs. And all the equipment that we couldn't afford to get fixed before was working. <laughs> yeah, we got, yeah, we, got new, we got new gear as well. We got brand new plates and stuff. So it was like that. And then they turned around to us and they like, guys, I know we do seven dinners a week, but now we're going to add two lunches. We're going to do Friday, Saturday lunch. And for the first four or five months, it was like it was 70 covers every single yeah. day for lunch. And they all had the MasterChef menu, the final menu. So it was the smoky velouté with donut, the barbecue beef rib, and then the baked lemon and meringue cheesecake. So that the, the, the final menu. And after four months of doing that same menu, you can see that some people don't want to do it anymore. I can see that I was getting diluted and getting overproduced um, for the numbers. So that, that was the start of a big problem for me. 
And then they said I could go and do stuff that I wanted with MasterChef, and then it was too busy at work, so I couldn't go. And then I had one day off, an extra day off to go and do something, I got cancelled in the morning. So I ended something else, and I got pulled up on it, and said I should have gone into work. Um, and then the week after that, I got asked to go to Belgium to cook for the British consulate in Belgium, as part of the Scottish government. And it was the first, it was a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday of the Open, um, in St Andrews, which I know was massive. And they said no, they said I couldn't go. They said because the Open's too busy and it wasn't fair to anyone else. And I said that's what's too big a, too big an opportunity to miss. So that's when I handed my notice in for that day, that week. So that's when I finished at Rocker. So just, it got a bit um, sour towards the end. Mm. And, and after four and a half years of millions of hours, I got a handshake when I left. And I wasn't expecting anything, but I was expecting a bit more than a handshake. <laughs> yeah. It was like I mean? pre-service it was, it was as pre-service well. pre-service as well. He was, he was working on it. It was on Saturday night, and it was really busy. It was 75 booked, and it was a really hard service, and everyone was just sweating away, and then the owners came in, and then mid-plate at the table, but I just put his hand through the passage, and she said, oh, your, your heart would be me. See you later. Left the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, like, is that... Um, Quite, do you think that's quite standard for the industry? I think it's quite cutthroat. So unfortunately, I think it was. I don't think it. It's ch- it is changing. It's changing. I think people are realizing that, like, chefs aren't just machines, and we do kind of get like I don't know. It's not like a lack of appreciation for chefs from sort of sort of owners and stuff. Yeah, but, but it's been broken like for years. Yeah, it's just, it's not really. Because yeah, I worked hard at Rock and worked hard where I've worked, but. Before that, it was 10, 15 years ago, it was even worse. Yeah. And I feel like working conditions are better now. Are better now. It's harder to get chefs now, but they are better. So I feel that we get the blame sometimes for a few years ago. How do you, what do you mean by that? Because you get a lot of chefs coming out now that have made their money, mm-hmm. that, are, um, that can support their business, that are happy to do... Well, there was one thing. One chef in London came out, he was paying his, st- his, his staff by wages. One of the most celebrated chefs in Britain. Do you know what I mean? He got a slap on the wrist and he's still going to have a chef working for him. But he, he completely fucked the system for 25 years in a two-star restaurant. Then you have another chef that's come out that's two stars for a certain amount of time, but they've opened the restaurant for 24 years. Now he goes down to 40 a week. Not the 20 years they were, working, they were doing their pan and the, the indispensable chefs you had at the time to get to that stage. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I made that sacrifice before we opened the restaurant. We, we, went, we were four and a half day a week straight away. And since October, within a four-day week, so the guys all get three days off. Um, as I said, with the staff meals and stuff, um, they get late starts. To get if they need to get away, they get away. Do you know what I mean, it's a, it's a bit. I I promote that working environment, going in as a new business, which is hard for me as a business owner, but the right thing to do. Whereas for these other people that were, that were well, didn't want to do that twenty years ago, but are happy to do it now when they've already done everything and they've had their success. Yeah, surely you'll see the benefit of. Like being more flexible and more understanding yeah. and having that a more sympathetic approach to and actually caring about the people that you, you're working with. Yeah. You'll see that because they will want to be part of what you're creating. Yeah. And they'll have that drive, that desire, what you're talking about to be a good chef. That'll come because of the conditions that you set up and the way that you treat people. Hopefully, yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. Hopefully, yeah. We're going through, it's just been openness now, 20 months, 21 months. And we've only lost two chefs, which is quite a bit of a miracle, but not on bad, bad terms. One went to the kitchen in Edinburgh, and one went to be the head chef at Ubiquitous Chip in Glasgow. So both gone on, um, not to be derogatory, but to higher levels than us. 
what I mean? Kitchen's one star and ubiquitous chips at 25 year old um, institution in yeah. Glasgow. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's an amazing restaurant and he's gone and run their brasserie. Um, it's a massive job. He wanted to go home to Glasgow anyway, but to get that job as well because he worked with us. Mm. It was quite, quite a compliment. So I do, I do believe that as well. Same front of house, though. This front of house get the same, works exactly the same. It's just because chefs are money, more money <laughs> than front yeah. of house. And they, front of house, what they do is they, they leave the trade, whereas chefs go into drugs and drink. That's 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 what what happens there. Front house is exactly the same. I've got I've got my restaurant manager and my front house manager work exactly same hours as chefs. Um, they work as hard as well. They get the same benefits, the same credit. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need that. You need that. All, in all parts of the business, as well. So when you were starting this up, so you you did a whole load of pop ups. Yeah. Before you actually <clears throat> um, created what is now the Newport. Um, so what. Why did you do that? So after um, Rockag, I did the Belgium stuff. I did it, and I went to France as well. Did some stuff there. Um, I got a really nice phone call from one of my mum's contacts again. He's like, Jamie, I know you've not got a job. Um, do you fancy doing some like silent work and coming and helping us out for the Open and for uh, the rest of the summer? So it was a private club. Um, and I basically got to go in and in the morning, finish at three, or I'd go in at 12 and finish at 8 uh, for a really nice kind of a really nice hourly rate really relaxed just going and help them kind of set the kitchen and stuff up so that tidied me over for 3 or 4 months until they finished the summer in, in November and Kelly just said to me she's like well why don't we just why don't we do something ourselves and we want the restaurant so why don't you you do pop-ups and so I hadn't heard of anyone doing them before I don't know I'm not going to I'm not going to say I started them I'm going to say we did that hmm ourselves but I don't remember especially definitely not in Scotland no no. I don't think I've ever heard of anyone doing pop-ups so we thought well what, what can we do so we sort of put in kind of like a business plan opened our own company um, had a bit of money bought went to Ikea <laughs> bought some <laughs> bought some crockery and cutlery um, I bought I had some equipment already and I set up some accounts some suppliers so I knew I was going to use when I was in my restaurant so local guys I knew knew me from, from the restaurant, so they were quite happy to support us and deliver to my house. Um, so it was all planned in that you had all the pop-ups planned out and then... No, the we did the first one. Did the first one, see how it went. I mean, the first one our broth because we knew after MasterChef and that it would do well. So we spoke to um, Smithy's Deli and Cafe, which is in the Westport in Arbroath, and they have like 20 seats. An absolute shambles of a kitchen. Oh, I remember walking uh, into that and thinking, uh, oh, what do we do here? <laughs> shambles of a kitchen. Uh, but I just remember seeing it at the seats and thinking, this could be doable. I didn't even look at the kitchen. No. Until we went back. And I just thought, let's, we'll, let's, see, we'll, let's open for one night. Let's do 20, 22 covers, I think, maximum. And we'll do six courses for 60. And we'll take some bottles of wine and see what they do. So the first one sold down in about a minute and a half. <laughs> so we opened another night, sold it another minute and a half. And then another night sold it. So it sold three nights straight. Um, they went up to and they weren't even 22 covers it was 28, 26 and 30 yeah. covers uh, so we squeezed all these people 100 people in this cafe three nights um, so I did prep at an off-site kitchen and then we took everything to our broth and then we basically finished everything for service there we used a cheese counter for all our cold stuff um, I got a little comic guy to help me off Facebook he wanted to come and do it um, my wife and one of our friends did front of house and it just went really well. It was bloody hard work though because because they were open, they were shut at five o'clock. You couldn't get in until then. So, so we're going at quarter past five, set up for half past six. 
and then you have to clean everything down and strip everything out again and set it back up for them. Yeah. But they weren't. They were, but yeah, but a lot of the places they weren't like they were clean, but they weren't like am I clean? So you clean the restaurant for them more. So we did that for three days. It went absolutely amazing. So we got a lot of event requests for them. So the next one we did was um, in Montrose. And I actually got phoned about it. I got offered a venue. So a lovely lady called Rosie, who owns a p- pavilion in Montrose, a beautiful little old bowling um, pavilion on the green. She's built it into a cafe, and it's stunning. It's really nice. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. She's the nicest lady ever. And I said, Jamie, I just want you to come cook. I just want to watch you cook. So the first one, I got charged five pound a cover. And this one, she just wanted me to be there. So again, we, we advertised two nights. And we did it over a weekend this time, I think it was. Yeah. So, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and the Thursday, Friday sold out again in 10 minutes. So, again, 20 covers each night because it was smaller. And then we did the last one, and we had a waiting list of 50 people for the last one. So it's amazing to f- like there's a real desire there. Yeah, the yeah, idea with our growth in Montrose was because there's nothing else really restaurant there. So, we thought, let's try kind of like almost like a suburban area and see what the, what the, the reaction is. Because if you do one night, it's, it's fine. Do you know what I mean? You're not going to pay, pay yourself a massive amount, but you're going to be able to pay the bills, plus take a little bit of a wage, and then you can plan for the next one. But they just went so well. So we pre-booked another one with Rosie for that Christmas, because I knew I knew I wouldn't have a job until January anyway, because I wasn't looking. So we pre-booked three nights from the 27th, 28th, 29th. Um, and, but she wanted, she, her condition was that she could sell it to her customers first. So obviously she had a database of her customers, so... She sold the first two nights out for us before we advertised it. And then I put the last night on and we sold that out. But we had obviously maybe maybe six weeks for that. And so we said we'll do two more. And so again, I got approached by um, a guy in Dundee, a coffee shop in Dundee. Um, and he asked me to come and do it because he was going from doing day service to doing night service as well. So he wanted he was changing his name. So he wanted me to kind of help him promote that. So he knew if I was going there, the courier would pick it up and it would be Jamie Scott's cooking at such and such. So we did that. So Dundee one went really well. Um, that was 36 covers a night. And that was an awkward kitchen because it was downstairs. Yeah. And there was a dumb waiter and walkie-talkies. <laughs> and you had to run outside and up through the front door to get into the kitchen. And that went, that went, again, that went really well. And the last one was at Gracie's, which was in December. December's a funny month for any sort of yeah, catering. So we sold out the first night and then we were maybe two tables short the two nights after that so we invited friends and family for Christmas so it was still really good nights um, but these two were a bit funnier so the first one um, made up that I was going to pay him made, made this whole contract <laughs> added up it, yeah. made it up in his head so I felt with him and then the other one um, didn't. so what I did was for the people that will let me do it so I gave him a table of two so £60 a head um, and then £35 for the wine so I paid for that for them so uh, they all brought like their partner so I was giving them £180 worth basically and then I was going in doing everything myself cleaning up and then leaving I wasn't using their stuff yeah you're essentially leaving it in the yeah. state that you find it so yeah. they were shut so that, so that was the whole point of it they were they were closed at night so I wasn't affecting their business I was hopefully in, I was giving them a bit of publicity yeah sort of social media and stuff so um, then this guy he turned up a table of six or a table of eight I think it was and he didn't want to pay for anyone See what see what six hundred quid, um, free. So when he was charging the night for for the four instead of the and, and then cause it, he felt me as well. So that's they they were a bit of a sour taste to pop up. So I'm glad we did the Christmas one at Rosie's because 
Um, it was again, it was brilliant with the lovely people there. People travel from Aberdeen to come to that one, and we we thought right in between the two last pop ups. I was thinking, right, we've got a bit of money now, we should maybe try to start looking at our premises for a bit more permanent. So we started looking around uh, Fife and Dundee and I said, I want to do it here because we built up a bit of a rapport now, we built up a bit of a you know, client base. And what like, what are you looking for at that point? So like, what what are the qualities, what's the space you're thinking of? Like? Anything. Yeah, I don't really have anything in mind. Because <laughs> I had Tasso with me. Yeah. He was working, um, he was, he'd left Rockers after me and he went to a private members club we were getting really good money. They hated the job. Bit of shit, yeah. And then there was another girl as well that came from Rocker who wanted to work with me, Shaz. And she hated Rocker after we left because it got a bit shitty. So I got her a job at um, Ruffles Hotel with my friend. Doing a bit of agency work and helping out for a couple of months. And then Tasha got him a job there as well. So they went there and they were kind of waiting, waiting in the wings for me to find something. So I looked at loads of places and I got I went to the Sea Fest in Arbroath in the summer. And there was a picture of me in like promoting Sea Fest in the paper, like well holding a lobster. And the owner of the Newport, Mark Cashley, had actually seen it and saw we'd be looking at premises. And he phoned he, he messaged me on Facebook, asked me to phone him, so I phoned him. And he said, Jamie, I think I've got what you're looking for, I've got a restaurant. Do you want to come and see it? So I went to see it the next day on the Monday. I see my mum and my wife. We had a look at it and just walked in and, and it was a bit of a shambles at the time because it was just like an old man's bar. You walk in and it's this big beautiful room. There was nothing in it, and the top floor with nothing in it as well. And then downstairs was like a an alcove into the old cellar, which was just like a, a rubble wall. And he's like, "This is where your kitchen would be." And he said that, and upstairs is is, is when he wanted to do. It, he said the top floor will be the restaurant, the bottom floor will be a bistro. I said, "All right." I was like, I kept it quite cool because I didn't know what he, what he wanted, and so he ended up turning up that he said, "I just want someone to come in and run it." Um, I, and I said, well, I'm not looking for a boss, so I would like to kind of take the restaurant on and run it myself. Um, and I'll look at the bar after, because I didn't want the bar at the time, I just wanted the restaurant. And he's like, perfect. So I remember leaving that that, that kind of meeting and saying to Kelly, I said, Kelly, even if our food was shite, we still give people that view. <laughs> the view's so good. So we agreed the terms in November of that year, did the last two pop-ups to make enough money to get the kitchen. And then we started doing that in January. That's when I told Tass and Shaz to finally had jobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they stayed there till January and then we hoped to be open the end of January, start of February for Valentine's. But the builders and painters and fitters are just yeah. stuff that really runs on over time. January, they're absolutely savage. They just don't can't be arsed doing anything. So everyone ran over about four or five weeks. And so we we could have opened the twenty second I think it was the twenty second of February. Yeah. But I said, I think it was be too late for the thing of Valentine's rush. So I was like, let's do a pop-up. So we spoke to Kitchen Bake in Newport. It's a cafe down the road from us. Yeah. A really nice lady called MG who owns it. I was like, can I take your cafe for four days um, before we open the restaurant? I'd met her before a few times. It's really nice. He said, yeah, of course. And it's like one condition. Like, can I have a table for Valentine's Day? It was like, deal. Of course you can. <laughs> so she had a really nice big kitchen. A nice kind of like 30-seat dining room. Um, she asked me to use her plates because they're all our her dad's, and she wanted to see really nice food in them. So she gave us all the plates, had a really nice area, and we could leave stuff there as well. Um, and then, well, all the rest of the stuff at Newport, it was easy just to bring everyone down. So there's four brilliant nights there, 30 covers a night, to kind of build up the Newport thing. And on the back of that, we picked up a private dining thing. Private dining, yeah. For um, a, 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 a birthday, wasn't a, it? A birthday, 50th birthday, 60th birthday in Newport as well. So we did that, so we had a really good week before we opened, and then 
we went in and I brought in two more chefs and I brought in a, a, an assistant manager for Kelly. We opened the first of March. To We opened the first week and didn't tell anybody to see what would happen. I think the first day for dinner we did 16 for dinner. Yeah. Without telling, Without telling anybody. Just people coming in. Yeah. Next day passing. we did 20 for lunch. 20 for dinner. 20 for lunch. 20 for dinner. Saturday night was full. Did one, cause we were only one four at a time. Um, so that's just based upon passing trade. That's not knowing passing you're trade, running that. People yeah. who... Locals kind of saying Turn lights Coming up. in and We'd obviously we'd, uh, That week we, were, we hadn't told anybody We'd arranged three parties So the first one was like, you know, like a um, A village party For everyone in the village So 150 people turned up And we got a band And we did canopies and snacks So the kind of style of food we'd be doing um, The next night was a Suppliers and family night So I invited kind of close friends and family then the last night was just the opening night. Stop the Friday night was the opening night kind of thing. So we had those kind of that build and then that filled the Saturday. And then from that we sold, we filled the next because we only won the four or twenty six seats, we sold the next six months Saturdays in a row. So we're full every single Friday, Saturday. And then when we got the right furniture, we eventually went upstairs and went up to forty six covers. And that's where it's at now. So obviously you guys are a lot more than a restaurant. Yeah, right. Yeah. The, the Newport is, is a lot more than that. So how do you how do you describe what it is? So I, the my my vision my idea of the Newport is kind of like a a food hub. Okay. Okay. So we've got a really we've got a bar that's that's not quite nice enough yet, but it's going to be touched up. So um, we want to focus on kind of like foodie oriented cocktails and stuff. Um, our bar is sixty five percent fully Scottish. Um. That sounds quite low, but when you think about how many um, beers and stuff that you have to get on tap to be Scottish, it's quite quite a lot. And then to have all your kind of, you're not going to have your soft drink Scottish, are you? Because you obviously your your cokes and stuff. But to have um, water, Gregor tonic waters and stuff from Aberdeen and stuff, we kind of focused a lot on that. Um, we're in like a small plate kind of style food as well, so you can come in, don't have to have a tasting menu or anything. You can come in and have a couple of plates at the balcony. Um, we bring in loads of students and stuff in the, in the kitchen, do experiences and stuff in the kitchen, and then we also do festivals and things as well. So, yeah, that, that idea of Newport Rome, my idea is, is somewhere, is somewhere you want to, first of all, it's somewhere you want to work. So I've always said to guys, if you're not happy working here, you don't have to stay here. And that sounds really blunt, but it really is. I don't want, <laughs> yes, yeah, I don't want anybody to be there that doesn't want to be there. Mm. Um, we want people to come and drink, and we've got four beautiful rooms as well, so people can come and stay. Uh, and we've also got a really nice car park that's right on the water, so we've actually started doing food festivals. So they're not to make money because I don't charge people to get in. Mm. They're for people to come in, love food and love drink. So we invite one other food vendor in. So we've had the cheese toasted truck with the Michael Bucket pizza oven. Um, and then we, we do is we do the opposite of them. So you want them to come in, sell their product, and we want to sell our product, and no competition to be had. So you come in and you might want a burger, which we'll do, or you want a pizza. Or they did cheese toasted, so we did like a, a curried goat and pork belly wrap and stuff like that. So it's always different. And then we brought... And um, between 12 and 20 local suppliers food and selling food and drink. So everybody from a local goat farm to uh, 71 Lager to uh, Verdant Gin. Uh, and then we had a craft stall. It's eight stalls in the crafts that were all from the East Nuke. All from kind of the local area again, selling everything from kind of like beach stones to handmade pillows to anything. And it's all yeah, local. A lot of things. The, whole, the whole point of it is local. And then we brought five local bands in from the area again. And they would play amazing music outside. But the kind of that the really cool part was is we've got a really nice kind of um, covered area underneath that we can put a chef's theatre in. 
So yeah. we did chef demonstrations. So had, in our summer one, we had Nick Nairn come along, uh, which was really good fun. He's a good friend of ours. Um, and then for the winter one, we had Adam from the Tabery. We had Brian Gregor from Balmoral. And we had um, Andrew from the Northport. So it was really cool to have this. And then people said, you can come along at 11 o'clock, listen to a band, have some tea, watch chef demonstration, have a walk, come back, watch chef demonstration. So the idea is that it's a full day out. You don't have to pay again. You just want to come and I'd rather you spent your money with suppliers and kind of support them because they're who we use. Mm. Yeah, it kind of gets missed, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's like yeah. localness and people have been buying on throughout it for ages. They don't do it. Yeah. They don't do it, you know, exactly. These, so you know, These big companies that, that say they buy Scottish and buy local, they do, they buy from the big massive corporations that are happy to um, to uh, export everything. Yeah. You want, whereas people eating local, do you know what I mean? They want them to eat local, from, like from local reaped oils to goat farms to um, the cheesery as well, things like that. And we want little to shops, support yeah. that, a lot of shops and things. Like so. Dundee, Angus, Perth, there's like, there's so much oh, food stuff. So much going on, yeah, so, but yeah. it just kind of gets overlooked, doesn't it? It's yeah, really... so much. So many farm shops, so much going on. And, and uh, it's all right saying you're going to support it, but until you go and do it. After, yeah. I want to move on to talk a little bit about food in, in the Dundee area at the moment so in my opinion it's come leaps and bounds in the last sort of three to five years we've seen a massive change in what's happening and the offering and the sort of choice that you get um, but what's I mean, what's your thoughts what's your opinions on how it is at the moment like, and where you would like to see it go I, I don't know I, I'm kind of I don't want to see like I'd like to see it kind of grow better in yeah. a sense, well, I think with the V&A, we're going to get quite a lot of, for Dundee anyway, it's going to be a very Dundee and surrounding area, I suppose. It's going to be really, really good for that, because you're going to kind of get a lot more people coming along, sort of tour, big tourist attraction, you'll get people travelling. But you just kind of don't want that to change into sort of like bigger brands, I suppose, to be coming in. You want kind of little local things, I think. More in independence. Yeah, independence, yeah. More independence. I think I agree with you, it has come on. I think it's come on more than 10 years in the last five years. I think it's sort of slowed down a little bit. I yeah. Think. Um, there's a couple of really good local restaurants, um, independent restaurants. You've got like, the Tayberry and you've got Broy Ferry. Um, you went there, Steve. Colin, Collins. 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 Avery & Co is brilliant, mm. really good. She's open, I think she's open in another place called Mass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which is really good. Um, it's, I don't, I don't know, sometimes it's a bit more, it's hard when it's so student oriented, it's the same as St Andrews I think. It's um, They're trying to think how they can get students in instead of thinking what kind of food they want to cook. Yeah. Well, the hope is that when we see this sort of increase in footfall, mm-hmm. that that allows that sustainability all year round. Yeah. So yeah, you're, not, course, yeah. you're not having to you're rely not on that, that student market to be like, right, okay, how can we capitalise on that? Whereas you can actually just cater for the people who are here. And yeah. that it's actually just that bit busier and there's just that, that bit more going on. It's all relying on the product that you're exactly. sort of pushing out there. Yeah, I've driven that, yeah. I have driven that Riverside Drive a lot in the last 10 years. Going yeah. to St Andrews, going to Dundee. And I've, the changes I've seen in it are amazing. So with that whole kind of cared hall project and whole area there yeah. with the boulevards and stuff is absolutely amazing. And when it is finished, it will be amazing to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to, obviously they just need to be strong when they're who they're inviting into the 
the units they've got to let, haven't they? They've got to yeah. they've got to say no to certain people, and which is what Sanders did for a long time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They only recently had a Starbucks and a Subway in the last five years, where you couldn't have that in it. You couldn't have that before. I know McDonald's still can't get in St Andrews because they don't want them. So you've got to be strong enough to do that. But then also you've got to support the people that want to open. So it's hard to open a restaurant. It's hard to open a business because just the overhead is open in the restaurant. It's, so I didn't, I, it's yeah. more than I thought. We had, we had a good amount of money saved. We doubled it in the first six months because we didn't, we didn't, you don't expect a lot of things. Yes, plates and stuff cost a lot, but then when someone drops a tray of glasses, do you know what I mean? Like think about one of And stuff like that. And, he, and then one radiator needs bled and the next one needs painted and stuff. It's just little things like that. And you can go into this amazing empty space, but you just need to put certain things in there. Because even in the kitchen, uh, we thought about all the equipment we needed. Two weeks in, I'm thinking, actually, we need another, we need more. We need another this, we need another that, we need another pans. So the costs go up. So you do need that kind of support. There should be some sort of kind of support to open the restaurants and to help them. Not necessarily run, because that's up to obviously the business owner, but to help them kind of get started and stuff. And the thing is just make sure they pick the right people. Because yeah, I want I want a restaurant in Dundee. Yeah. I want something in Dundee. Not like, not like the Newport, but something in, in Dundee. Our next plan is, um, our next plan is hopefully a bakery. Right. Because I feel that artisanal bread and the artisanal bakery is lost. It's yeah, gone. definitely. It's gone, unfortunately. And Bean. don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with Clark's at all. They're a very good bakery, but they've always just gotten to a point now where they're so big, aren't they? Yeah. Um, Goodfellow Stevens are the exact same, but they're so big. Um, Fish and Donaldson's are just so big. But they've kind of lost that. Everything's really sweet. It's just all Most kind of raw, kind of sweet and rustic. Really, and they like to put and ruin everything now. <laughs> I don't mind iron brew, but I don't think it needs to be in a donut. No. Um, <laughs> in a glass. <laughs> it's fine. So I want to kind of bring that, because we make all our own breads and all our own pastries and stuff, so we want to do that. So we've been pop up, we've been pop-up bakeries this year. Yeah. So there's a couple at the end of the year there, which went really well, one in Edinburgh, one in the Newport outside, and they went really well. So um, we want to kind of bring that to Dundee and, our, and Newport and see what we can do that way. Mm-hmm. It's like making our own sourdough, our own treacle breads, our own baguettes. And then our stuff's sweet, but not but savoury at the same time. So we do like a, a fudge donut, but we make it with a duck egg custard and salted caramel so it's not as sickly as you would think it's not intense yeah and we make like um, smoked chocolate eclairs and stuff so it's the, the, the idea is there to do something a bit different but again still respecting the artisanal roots because mm. um, oh, when was the last time you walked in a really good bakery and all you could smell was bread bread yeah <laughs> no, never is it you know what I mean our, everyone's pre-made in a cold counter mm. so it's a bit it's, again it's lost that and if you, is, if you make it work properly, you can still like do everything fresh and still be prepared for it. Yeah, so we want to kind of we're focused on that next. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a growth of the Newport, so it'll be a, a bakery by us. So that's the next kind of thing from Step Newport. Forward, yeah. So, th- in terms of like, to go back to restaurants a little bit, um, do you think like the expectations of customers have become a lot higher? And uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sort of thinking this in the realms of. I know you, you sort of had a bit of a disdain for the term fine dining. <laughs> um, and like, also, like we sort of talked about earlier about um, the whole thing about handing back Michelin stars and about that sort of, the pressure of that sort of service and that sort of expectation, whereas people want really good food and a good level of service. But is that, do you think that's increased over time? Like, do you think that's becoming, there's more pressure on that to be, Perfect over everything that you do, or what? I mean, what's your what's your feelings on on that? Um, I think the choice um, makes you get, get well. Well, do you, well, 
I, I, I hate being responsible for somebody's expectations. Yeah. I don't think it's fair. Can't do it. I don't think it's fair. Now, you'll have expectations you go for dinner, not what you're, obviously what you're expecting, what you're wanting, but, but when you're blamed for not meeting an expectation of somebody, it's, I think it's, it's an unfair criticism, because what can you do from that? Yeah. If I've cooked something wrong, or I've given you something that's overcooked, or it's just shit, <laughs> I'll take the blame for that. Yeah. I'll take 100% credit for that. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, I don't think that's an expectation. I think that's just... Um, Wanting something done right. Yeah, right. so that doesn't happen. So we don't send stuff out that's not right. Um, I, I do think people want more perfection nowadays because of Instagram, because they see everything filtered. Um, they see, like social media as well are insistent on doing everything as a fast food kind of style um, where stuff's cooked in, a, in five minutes in front of you and the realism is when you go to a restaurant there's 14 hour it's, days that, to make that piece of yeah, it's not piece of meat for you or something do you know what I mean this, again back to the hours we don't do the hours we do because we want to we do the hours we do because we have to because the food we want to produce the fresh you need it. exciting invigorating food it needs that time you can't we can't brunoise something any faster which is the dice you can't make a stock any faster. You can't make a sauce any faster. Um, so the, the time you do that is required. Um, and it is, yeah, someone will say to me, oh, we're just got another chef. I'm like, okay, well, give me an X amount of grand to get out of the chef. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't drop one of the guys, but I expect them to work hard because they want to cook that food and they want to present that. So that's where that kind of gets the balance. So it's, it's, it's an appreciation for the craft and the process that goes on yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah. Of course. you have to go. Our thing is right. Is we can't please every customer. We, 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 I've accepted that since I opened the restaurant, and it's a bit of a spiel we do when we go to taste. We do taste the menu. Is is you can go out to the table four. So you can go out with your partner and you can go out with your two friends. Right, you'll be in the mood for steak. One will be in the mood for fish. One will be in the mood for chicken. And one will be in the mood for Indian. So how can you? Be, how can I do that? Unless I'm in a in a, a certain pub chain or I'm, a, I'm a, in a big restaurant with a silly menu, I will never be able to achieve everybody's expectations of what they want. So, um, you've got to be in. You've got to give much, as back as us as much as we can give to you. Whereas you've got to kind of relax and let us take care of you. So we do. We are very lucky that we get customers like that. Yeah, they come in lot. and they, they let us cook for them. Um, because our taste menu is very popular. And we were only just recently offered an option taste menu of a main course because I feel like it'd be more, even more popular. Um, now that's no, we've never had complaints about it or anything, but I just feel like it'd be nicer, a nicer option because when you've got two people that come in every single month, um, I think they'll try more things. Yeah. So we want them to come twice a month because the menu changes more often. Mm. So we've done, we were interested in that this year to see how that goes. But um, I just, yeah, I think it's a bit of a mix of everything, social media, um, people's expectations being too high sometimes of a certain restaurant. I've got expectations only because I, when I go to a restaurant, I expect the chef to be able to cook something properly to be able to work at a professional level. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I expect what I expect though is less than somebody else. I'll expect like a bit of chicken to be cooked nice, cooked perfectly, yeah. Or I expect a bit of fish to be fresh, or you know what I mean? I, that's what I expect when I go. I don't expect it to be to blow me away when I go to a coffee shop for a for a cake, but I expect to be freshly baked or Good. a fresh cake. Do you know what I mean? You mm. don't, I don't, I've got lower expectations, but I want, of what I want. And if people had that as well, I think it'd be a bit easier to go at restaurants. But you've also got the idea as well as, as, as cost expectations. When you go out and you can go to a chain restaurant and get three courses for 10 quid, I could never do that. You're never going to get that fresh. I don't understand it. I yeah. don't understand how you do that unless you do a thousand covers a day, which no one wants to do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Whereas, um, we, we're, I don't think we're expensive. We our small plates start from 
three pounds fifty and go up to fourteen pounds, and that's completely up to you how much you want to spend and how many you want to eat, mm-hmm. in the tapas style, um, or you can come to the restaurant. I've tasted menu with fifty five pounds, which is for uh, ten courses, so it's a five or a course. So if you break it down, you're still paying. If you break it down averagely like that, yes, you're paying a fiver for a little cracker at the start, but you're also paying a fiver for a duck main course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you do break them, like that, people do like, oh, actually, that does make sense. There needs to be a trust, doesn't it? I still don't want to pay it, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, because then they forget, and then, like, they ask the wine and stuff, like, that bottle's only that much in the shop. I was like, well, first of all, you don't get that bottle in the shop because you've sourced it from a specific supplier. And secondly, it's that price because we're getting, there's only so many bottles made per year. So the same emphasis goes on the wine as it does in the food. Same with the drinks, the cocktails, the gins, the whiskies, everything. It's all kind of really carefully thought out. And you're paying for the experience as well. Yeah, exactly. Yes. You're, you're kind of coming food. in the staff and... Yeah, it's the service. Yeah, it's, it's everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's the, you're paying yeah. for the hello. Yeah. When you walk in, you want yeah. to be greeted, don't you? You don't want to be ignored when you walk in. You want mm. someone to be happy to see you. Um, be looked after. Yeah, which is what we it's want kind to It's kind of what you go to for. a restaurant for, isn't it? Like, you sit yeah. down and... Because we serve a lot of the food. Chefs serve um, half the menu because um, chefs don't often come at the kitchen and the guys are very proud of what they cook. So they want to see that reaction. I love that reaction when I take someone out and I pour a sauce and they can smell it off the hot plate or they can see it split with a bit of oil or something. And they can ask you any questions they want. Or we do the bread right in the middle of the meal. Because um, we make our own homemade bread and our own homemade butter. And we've had the same bread once it's opened the restaurant, which is like a black treacle and oat bread. We do it right in the middle of the meal because um, it's all, bread's often... Kind of forgotten about forgotten about and I give you the most amazing bread at the start of the meal you'll eat it because you're hungry and then you'll forget about the end of the meal you've had bread yeah whereas if I give you it right in the middle of the meal there's a bit more pressure on asking me the bread the bread's amazing <laughs> <laughs> but it's more of, a, of an occasion so it gives it its own pedestal yeah, to stand so, on as part of it and 90% of people remember the bread and they yeah. compliment the bread after the meal and they say how different it was and how, how much they like it and we sell that bread at our festivals by dozens yeah so so how does, how does your creative process work when you're creating a new dish or a new menu from like idea to actually putting that on the menu? How, how does that process work? We kind of look at what we like to eat. If, if we enjoy eating it, we're going to enjoy cooking it. We're going to do it to a high standard. And then from there we kind of think, how do we elevate it? Like we do quite a lot of um, quite a lot of braising, quite a lot of barbecuing. Just that's like the style of food that, well, for me personally, um, love to eat that. So we kind of, how do you take sort of something that's maybe like a barbecued goat leg, how do you turn that into a restaurant style dish that's manageable, still tastes amazing, and that you can make, sort of get the best quality out of it. Yeah, it starts with then, the suppliers as well. Yeah, so you have to have a good supplier. supplier. Yeah, we feed the suppliers every single day. Good butchers, good... Um, and we'll phone him up and he'll tell me what he's got or I'll ask him what we need or what we're looking for or I've seen something um, we'll say can you give us this and he'll give us a sample normally and we'll play about with it and then we'll get to post we've written a menu down they've written a dish down drawing a picture and played about with it over the week and then, you say drawing a picture yeah some, some dishes you've got to draw a picture some dishes I see in my head I can draw <laughs> and then it just, you just imagine it don't you yeah, and then, kinda... and then it, it comes at, sometimes it comes at exactly the same as the picture and, and other times it's completely And is that like back of a napkin, like just with a biro? No, no, just like I, I, I love, I love you write your little, <laughs> write what your dishes, and then just a little squiggle next yeah. to it, your little pencils. doodles. Colour pencils. 
But not only that, when you're writing down the ingredients sometimes, so you do like obviously the diagram and the arrow to it. And sometimes when you write something down, like um, you sometimes you'll forget a natural combination, and you write it down. And you're thinking until you look at the word, until you think about it, and you can see in your head. You think you forget about a combination, so so that helps a lot as well. Um, sometimes you think it needs maybe a salty element or a bit more citrus, and you think actually this would work with that. And then we'll do a dish, and then Sundays we do like a kind of like a, a surprise menu for Sunday, and it's like a Sunday lunch, so it's um, it's four course and a glass of champagne. Or an ale for thirty quid, and um, the menu changes every single week, and so that's the best day as well for doing pastry work because pastry is obviously a lot more scientific and a lot more measured and stuff. So all new dishes go on the Sunday lunch menu to get vetted by us. So we're cooking it for a full day, and you're seeing it and you're tweaking it all the way, and you get customer feedback without them knowing. So that's the, that's how ninety nine percent of dishes come out. Yeah, you go through a Sunday lunch process. Sunday. <laughs> So if you ever want a sneak peek, Sunday's the yeah, Sunday's the day for it. <laughs> so like especially like the end of one season, start of new season. So going into spring and stuff, well, going coming out of winter, we'll see more Venice and stuff and the gamey things going on. And then by the time you get to the start of spring, we'll start to see the start of asparagus and peas and broad beans yeah. and all greens coming through. And it's nice to see that Sunday change. So that's that's the best way of doing it. Just people talking to people, like talking about food all the time. Eating out is so important. Yeah, for a chef, eating out to steal ideas. But to see where the curves go and to see just to get different views on what you're doing and not necessarily eating out and fighting like Michelin star places, but just eating in good places. Mm. So uh, I've got a couple of questions left. What is one of the most memorable food experiences you've ever had? Oofed. You can go first one. Um, for me, I went to Copenhagen a couple of years ago now. And seeing their whole food scene was just just total crazy. A couple of restaurants. We went to a couple of sort of high end two mission stars, and then we done kind of we worked around it as well. We kind of done like little local things and stuff, and just seeing how how much sort of like love and effort is put into their sort of stand like their style of food, and it's it's just it's just really quite. It's always going to be a, mem- a memorable experience for me. Just sort of seeing. Just it's sort of like, because obviously they're, they're quite where they are. It, it's how do I say that? Like, um, they have to have like a sort of style, if that makes sense. Just what like the sort of weather and stuff, and they do a lot of fermenting and a lot of sort of preserving and stuff. And I think Scotland's lost, not maybe not lost that, but it's you kind of share a sea, don't you? And you have a sort of similar sort of weather line where we develop the restaurant, we look at a lot of fermenting, a lot of pickling, a lot of preserving, um, whether that's meats to do our own sort of styles of our own like sort of hams and stuff to everything down to vegetables. Because obviously you get these great ingredients in sort of like the summer of it, you, you might want to kind of see what you can do with it once you like look after it and sort of keep an eye on it for a couple of months. And it sounds really random saying that for a couple of months, but if it when it's done really properly, it, like it doesn't change the flavor, it t- changes the flavor. It makes everything sort of like a little bit different, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think I quite like I quite like that. That's something that's definitely defined a sort of way I want to cook. Is that trip, sort of and that kind of made me want to look down that route of things. So, but you? Yeah. I had a great time with Copenhagen as well. I went as well. So good. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> I got a couple. Of, one was kind of when I really noticed kind of like details in the food was actually in college. A really good um, lecture with Gary Watson, who's got a Tuesday restaurant now in Arbroath and Inverkeeler. And I remember a potato fondant, it's just basically a potato cut out of a cylinder. 
and then cooked in butter. And I just remember making these up and then him showing me just to peel it outside so it's smooth with a peel or a peeler and then to so obviously got a sharp edge when you cut it and then to go around the top of the peeler and use it as like perfect little cylinder shape. And that's always stuck out in my head about detail and that's what I've always thought about. Um so that's one little thing from college and then probably an eating experience was probably actually last year. Last year I went to London with my wife. I went to a restaurant called Street XO. And it's a, a restaurant by um, David Aturis, who's got a restaurant in Madrid called Diver Exo, which is three Michelin star. He does like, this mental Spanish-Japanese fusion food. It's just unbelievable. And he's opened this tapas place in London, just in Chelsea. And you walk in and he's like, he's an absolute nutcase. <laughs> absolute nutcase. It's like he thinks he's like a, he's like, he, he thinks he's like a performance all the time. So all the staff are in like white straight jackets. Um, the cocktail menu has got the cocktails got their own like twenty bar staff because everyone's made there, everyone's made to order and they do like these amazing kind of like gastronomic cocktails. So like one came in a one was called like Spanish Heart and it came in a big porcelain heart. The other one was to take on a kind of Brazilian cocktail and it came in like a, a plastic bag that you drink in the streets in Brazil. Stuff like that. This blew my mind. But the best two thing best things I ate there, one was um, pork and strawberry hoisin sauce. And they came on a big sheet of paper and they just threw hoisin sauce, all, strawberry hoisin sauce over the plate. And you got four pork dumplings and you just scraped on the paper and ate it in one mouthful. And that mouthful was just like mind blowing. And the second thing was a drink. And it was Andalusian margarita. And it was basically a prawn cocktail. Uh, it was a savoury drink. So you got uh, in three parts so you got smoked ice cubes, um, which you popped into your drink, which is a prawn broth with brandy and vermouth. And then you got a. Uh, a little baby red prawn and so the tail had been barbecued very lightly and dipped in caramel and on a stick and then you got the head which had been barbecued as well so you soup the head you mix the drink with the prawn tail ate the drink put the ice cube into the drink and then sipped it and that was a fucking cocktail <laughs> <laughs> and it was 18 quid but it was probably the best 18 quid drink I've ever had in my life and it was just absolutely mind-blowing how you can how you can think of that for a start yeah. and then to get that that flavour combination or whatever you want at the table and oh stabs amazing it's one of the best restaurants I've been in one of the best restaurants I've been in and the head chef was there as well and got treated really nicely got to sit, sit, sit at the kitchen counter it's just an amazing experience absolutely amazing experience so that that's quite recent but I've had a lot in my life I'm very lucky but that was like the most up to date one that's kind of blown me away mm-hmm. it really influenced me my, my kind of style and cooking recently so to finish up What's your guilty pleasure? Whether it's like <laughs> smashing a pot in the door at three in the morning or what is it that... McDonald's. Yeah. McDonald's, yeah. really? Saturday night after service. Go, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, after a long week, we'll go to um, one in the morning, we'll go to McDonald's, we'll get our meal and we'll sit and chat shit and we'll play on our phones. Is that not like exactly against everything that we would like... Uh, yeah. Completely. You try and, but then it's just convenience and... It's, it's convenience. Yeah. Um, I could go home. Um, we, we, we were off for a couple of weeks just now, and I've cooked a lot at home recently, actually. Um, just because we wanted to. So I do, I do, I do like cooking at home. But it's the last uh, one o'clock in the morning. Um, we don't do it. All, we don't do. We don't do it every Saturday. No, it's maybe every third Saturday or something. But it is. It's convenient. It's got the kind of right sugars and the right fats to make you comforted. Do you know what I mean? You feel mm-hmm. crap in the morning after it, but. Um, you'd say the same for a kebab wouldn't you or you'd say the yeah. same for a pot of dough it's 
they're all they're all coming to the same advice, I think, of um, of rub- fast food and rubbish. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would never go to take my girls to McDonald's and sit at McDonald's. I, I mean, I would always just like do it with the guys. So. Yeah. So that kind of thing, uh, and I, I, and I love Chinese. Yeah. As well, I love Chinese. Not 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 a shit Chinese, like a really good Chinese. Like I think Manchurians are good. Like yeah. And stuff just like go and sit and just eat dumplings and just yeah, be happy. So. Enjoy life. Two lads about it. We don't really t- we don't have much in the kitchen. Like that. Everyone likes a bit of fizzy juice now and again. Um, I'm not. I don't smoke. I don't drink a lot. I don't drink coffee, so I'm quite lucky that way. Whereas a couple of the guys in the kitchen um, drink a lot of coffee. Yeah. Um, but no one ever drinks in the kitchen because I think I hope I'm glad because that when when I was starting out eight or nine years ago there was a lot of that uh, kind of um, influence. So you would finish working off two pints, three pints, four pints. Which is a mental thing. Every now. night, yeah. Mental thing now because people do it every night and then go in the next morning. So no wonder they're cranky and shit. Mm. So I'm quite lucky that I never got into that. And then obviously the drink ban came in. So I was in Sanders anyway, so there was no peer pressure there to have one because you're driving. So whether before you could have obviously two two or three pints and then drive home. Nowadays you can't have a half pint. So it helps me that way. Mm. It's not good for business, but it helps me that way that you didn't I wasn't peer pressured into it. Yeah. So if People want to come and find you, want to find out more about the restaurant, where, where did they do Yeah, that? so um, we are in Newport Ante, the Newport restaurant, so it's the big beautiful white building at the bottom of High Street that looks onto the river. Um, it's, it's the art gallery is at the front of the building, it's we're at the back of the building, so you can get into us from the, the art gallery. Um, we've got a really good website, uh, www.newportrestaurant.co.uk, so on our Facebook, Newport Restaurant. Twitter at the Newport Restaurant, yeah. and then my Twitter is at Mr. Jager. It's quite a lot of um, chefy, chefy stuff, personal stuff. Um, it's very quite an active page. There's a lot of nice food pictures and stuff, and what we do day to day as well. So you can get us to on in there. Yeah. If you want to use an old cell phone, it's oh one three two five four one four four nine for bookings. Cool. Thanks very much. Thank you. No, thank you. So that was Jamie and Tasso. Um, thank you to them. Thank you to them for taking the time to come and be on the podcast in their sort of festive break in January. Um, and now I'm sure they'll be straight back at it. Um, yeah, go and try their food. Um, I'm really looking forward to going in and smelling this sort of freshly baked bread in their new bakery when that that comes around. Um, yeah, all the notes. All the notes. Um, all the links are in the show notes to that but um, if you want to keep it up to date with everything podcasty for Creative Chit Chat it's at CCC Dundee on Twitter and on Instagram and cccdundee.com um, forward slash store and you can buy prints um, badges and other lovely things to help support the podcast um, so yeah, that would be much appreciated but that's it for this week um Yeah, I'll catch you next week with episode number 52. Bye.